0: Romans chapter 15, verse 13. If you have your Bible open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, even in the midst of trials and struggles and tribulations, we see your goodness and your kindness and your love and your mercy in such clear relief. And Lord, it's our prayer that we would abound in hope today by the power of your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. One of the things I hear from so many of you when I get to talk to you, especially during this season, is uh, you'll say to me now, are y'all ready for Christmas? And I say, most of us are. And uh, three of us in particular are very ready for Christmas. And so often what you'll say back to me is, enjoy these days. Enjoy these days, because one of these days, Christmas won't be quite like this. Now, I'm not saying it won't be sweet, you'll, you know, you, you try not to get, be all doom and gloom on me, but you'll, you'll say things like that to me. Enjoy these days, this is a sweet season uh, for you and your family. Enjoy your children and the stage of life that they're in. And it's true, it is fun, it, it's fun to watch kids at Christmas time, and my kids love Christmas. I'm sure your kids do too. They, they, they look forward to Christmas all year long. Why is that? Why, why do kids look forward to Christmas so much? It's because they know what's coming. They, they know what's going to happen on Christmas morning. They, they know, by and large, that when they wake up on Christmas morning, there will be presents. That they know there will be gifts. There's still excitement, right? And then there's still that feeling. I got this from my dad. I couldn't sleep on Christmas Eve when I was a kid. And he couldn't either. The, the stories go, when my dad was a little boy, uh, he would uh, get so nervous on Christmas Eve, if he heard so much as a bell ring, he would vomit. He was so worked up and, and excited over Santa Claus coming, and I was the same way, my palms would sweat, I get nervous, and I'm still that way, I still have a hard time going to sleep, I get so excited on Christmas. There's anticipation, there's a little bit of fear, trepidation, why? Not because you are afraid it won't happen, but because you know it will. Sometimes I think we've messed the word hope up. Hope feels like a long shot to us, this is something Jim and I have talked about a few times. Where I think, I think we've kind of messed the word hope up, but because hope feels like a long shot. Well, that's your only hope. Or, man, I sure hope that happens, but we kind of know in the back of our minds it's probably not going to. But hope, I think biblically speaking, is a lot more like the feeling that a child has the day the Christmas tree goes up. This is a, a sign of hope that Christmas is coming. Before long, a child knows when that Christmas tree goes up. This year, from what I can tell, everyone's went up in October. So it's been a long season of anticipation. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? It's been a long season of anticipation knowing one day they think, before long, there will be presents under that tree for me. That's hope. Hope is knowing it's coming and believing it's coming and hanging on until it does. And in so many ways, this is the determining difference between a Christian attitude and a non-Christian attitude. In so many ways, the Christian life is entirely bolstered by hope. In fact, the Apostle Paul says so pointedly, we are of all people most to be pitied if the resurrection has not happened, if we have hope, he says, for this life only. This means then that what Christianity does to a person is it says your whole life is foolish if you don't actually have hope that Jesus is going to make all things right. We are a people of hope we look forward with surety with assurance to what the lord will do we know things will get better we are hopeful people and this morning i want to i want to show you three truths in a year when we could use some hope right in a year when we have so often felt hopeless in a year when we have so often felt The keenness of the struggles of the day. In a time when we so desperately need to believe that things will get better this morning, I want to show you three truths from this one verse. This beautiful little verse that I think will help you abound in hope this year. And so as we finish up Advent, as we're near finishing up the year, as we look forward to talking about prayer next week, this morning I want to talk about hope. I want to point you to biblical hope. Here's the first point this morning. Three points to help you abound in hope. Here's the first truth that I I want you to just work into your heart today. It's this hope is God-centered. Hope is God-centered. Notice this first phrase in verse 13. May the God of hope, fill you with all joy. Now, I want you to know something about God. God doesn't hope. God doesn't need to hope. You you need to hope because you don't know what's coming. God doesn't have to hope because he knows what he's going to do. God is totally sovereign. He's over all things, all things find their yes and amen in Him. There has never been in the history of God's existence, that is, for eternity past and off into eternity future, there will never be a single moment where God is in doubt, where God doesn't know, where God isn't in control. And so what does it mean then, if that's the case, for God to be, as the Bible says, the God of hope what what does it mean for God to be the God of hope if God doesn't need the hope you might think that that God is the source of hope like so for example when we say God is a God of love what are we really saying when we say that God is the God of love. We're saying God is the source of all love. And so we love because He first loved us. God is the supreme example of what it means to be loving. God is love, the Apostle John tells us in the book of 1 John. God is all-loving. He is infinite in His love. He is perfect in His love. There's no limit to God's love. And yet, we see that God is the God of hope. God is the God of hope precisely because He doesn't need it. God is the God of hope precisely because God doesn't hope. In other words, we can hope in God because God doesn't have to worry about the future. God doesn't have to think through and wonder whether or not things will go His way off into the distance. God doesn't have to hope, and that's precisely why He is the God of hope, because you can look to God when you need hope, and you can be reminded, when I'm in control of nothing, when I'm holding on with white knuckles onto anything, God is God. God is in control god is over the past the present and the future and so when you feel hopeless what i want you to do is think about god think about god i went to seminary several years ago and i can remember what people would say to me and you probably didn't know this cole when i was getting ready to go to seminary so what are you going up there to cemetery for What do you need all this theology for? Where I'm from, I'd hear people talk about preachers in certain ways. And they'd say, hey, he's the best preacher I've ever heard. I, never, I don't even think he's ever even brought a single note into the pulpit. Everything he says is right from the heart. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that sort of preaching necessarily. So long as you've got something in your heart to preach. I might like to see somebody use their brain from time to time in the pulpit. But I understand. I understand. I get what people mean when they say that. But there is an allergy that many of us have, and sometimes it's justified, right, to this little word, theology. This study of God, this thought of who God is. And so our seminaries get this sort of reputation or any sort of institutions of learning about God start to get this sort of reputation where it's become a sort of cul-de-sac where people are so inwardly focused and focused on learning and so puffed up with knowledge that there are no good in the world. And I've met folks who might as well have gone to cemetery. I understand that. But what a disservice we do. What a disservice we do when we act like that's the end of theology. Or the purpose of theology. Sometimes, my friend, on your darkest day, on your worst day, it's a good thing to know something about God. For you to go in your mind because you're so tempted by your flesh and your heart is doubting the Lord and it's a good thing to go back to something. And you might have learned it in Sunday school when you just learned the Lord is good and He means good for His people. To think about God. To think about the sovereignty of God. To go back to those old stories. Some of you can still see them on the flannel graph in your mind right now. On what God has done. in the past, how God was faithful to his people. Just to take a moment just to think about God and to think about the way that God made promises to Abraham and he kept them. And to think about the way that God made promises to Abraham and Joseph believed those promises in such a way that he gave orders concerning his bones, knowing that one day, though God's people were in Egypt on that day, one day God was going to take them home. And Joseph said, when you go, take my bones with you. You think about the way God was faithful to Moses when he did bust him out out of Egypt and the Lord preserved his people even in the wilderness. It's good to go back and to think about what God has done and it's good even to think about what God has done in your life. To go back to those moments when you thought there was no way things would change and yet somehow God miraculously changed things goodness gracious, it's good to stop and think about what God is doing. Not just what God has done, but it's good to stop and think about what God is doing. We so often get so caught up in what God's not doing that we forget what God is doing. Just to stop and consider the things He's doing in your life today. I woke up this morning. I'm at church today. I can hear a sermon online or on television. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. We can think about what God is doing right now. God's at work in your life. Think about where you were 10 years ago and where you are today and say, my goodness, the Lord's been at work. My friends, it's a good thing to think about what God will do. To think about God's promises to stop and think about what he hadn't done yet. And what I would think when I think about that, what I do think when I think about that, when I'm struggling, where I go is I say, well, I think, I think. If God says he's faithful, and things seemed up in the air in the Old Testament, and God kept his promises in the Old Testament. And things seemed up in the air when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, and yet God raised him from the dead. And when Saul of Tarsus was wreaking havoc on the Lord's church, it seemed like, I'm sure, that eventually this little band of of people who believe in this crucified and risen Messiah were going to be snuffed off the face of the earth when there seems to be no way. It feels like nothing will change. It feels like things are at their worst. And yet, think about what God has done. And Man, that gives me hope for the future. That makes me feel really good about what God will do. that that, that makes me hopeful that God is at work don't think about the world Don't, don't think about your circumstances trust me they'll show themselves to you enough you don't have to spend extra time thinking about them trust me you don't have to worry about your worries they'll show back up they'll be fine without you you can leave them for a minute it's not like children. You don't have to watch them every second. Maybe it is like children. They'll tell you when they need something. Leave them alone for a few moments. Don't think about your worries. Don't think about the world. Don't think about that thing that's weighing on your heart. Think about God. Hope is God-centered. God is the center of hope. God is the wellspring of hope. And it's precisely God's sovereignty that beckons you to think about Him in your most difficult moments. When you're the most hopeless, when you're the most tried, when you're the most weary, I want you to think about God. That leads us to our second point this morning. Hope is faith-fueled. Hope is God-centered, but second of all, hope is faith-fueled. Here's another trick, a little tip. When you're thinking about God, just go ahead and trust Him. You're already thinking about Him, you might as well trust Him. The God of hope, the Bible says, listen to what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hope is faith fueled the God of hope the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing you look at the God of all hope you trust him and you believe him and something starts to happen you're troubled you're in a difficult situation you're worried you're struggling And you look at this God. You're beholding your God. And and the Bible says He's the God of all hope. And and then you start to even cower down in your heart just a little bit because you think, I I don't feel very hopeful right now. Don't don't go there. He welcomes you. You look at this God and you trust Him and you believe Him and something starts to happen. That faith-fueled hope that God is developing in your heart, it starts to work backwards into your life. It it flows back into your heart, and it produces joy and peace in your life. Joy and peace. I want you to be reminded of this truth today, church. Hope is given by grace through faith. Hope is given by grace through faith. I I want you to know that everything as a believer that you get from the Lord, you get by grace through faith. So often we just think it's our salvation that we get by grace through faith. And so then we think, well, it's sort of like you get a little kit at the beginning of your Christian life. You get your little kit by grace through faith, and you get some stuff in your Christian kit, and then it's up to you to do what you want to do with it. I got my kit, I got my salvation, and it's up to me by works to go do the rest of this thing. But that is not what the Bible teaches, my friends. Everything you get from the Lord, you get by His grace. He gives it to you freely, and He sustains you as you trust Him throughout your Christian life. Hope is given by grace through faith. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May God fill you, that's grace... Through believing, that's faith. This is how you find joy and peace and indeed hope in your life is by trusting that the Lord is giving it to you the way He has said He will. Think about it. Think about it. It's so hard to trust in a God that you don't believe. It's so hard to have hope in a God who you don't trust. Faith is simply trusting God. And my friends, if you want to have hope in this world, if you want to move beyond the hopelessness that's so easy to feel, then I want you to start by trusting God. You look to the Lord and recognize that hope comes from Him and Him alone, and you trust Him, and God gives you hope through your trust in Him. Hope is God-centered. Hope is faith-fueled. And finally, hope is spirit-gifted. Hope is spirit-gifted. There's something weird that happens in Christianity, right? I I want you to think about this. There's a couple of commands in the Bible that are repeated more than any other. And, and, and scholars sort of differ on which one's the most popular, like which one's most used in the Scriptures. One is fear not. Right? Don't be afraid. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Well, if you're afraid, you're afraid, aren't you? In fact, for some of us, nothing makes us angrier than when someone tells us not to be afraid when we're afraid. So if I could not be afraid, I wouldn't be. Leave me alone. There's another one, and it's it's almost a tie for first. Do you know what the other one is? Rejoice. Rejoice. In other words, be joyful. Now, telling somebody, don't be afraid is easier said than done. Be joyful? Are you kidding me? And the Bible tells you to do it, right? Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've been at times in my life when I had to fight for joy. And, and if somebody just came up and said, you know what you ought to do is cheer up, you know, I don't know what I would have done, because I'm not a fighter, but I would have wanted to fight that person, you know, I would have been frustrated, what do you mean be, jo- what do you mean cheer up, some of you may be there right now, right? Christmas is so hard, and it's been a tough year, and maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe every year Christmas brings up fresh wounds, and you just have a hard time finding joy. And it kind of gets on your nerves how happy everybody is. And now the preacher's saying that the most popular command in the Bible is to rejoice. To be joyful. It's one of the most beautiful things about the Bible, is that we're commanded to do so many things that we can't do. We are commanded to do so many things that we cannot do. How do we just summon joy out of a heart that's broken? How, How do we muster hope out of a spirit that's worried, that's anxious? These things don't come naturally, and so often they feel impossible. But there's good news. There's a good news for believers... There's a good news for those who are seeking. There's a good news for those who are the most hardened unbelievers. I have good news for you. You are not alone. Because God will give His Holy Spirit to anyone who trusts His Son, to anyone who comes to Him by faith. The Lord will give you His Holy Spirit. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say in verse 13? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. How? Why? So that. Do you see this? God is at work. You look to God. You see the God of hope. He fills you with joy and peace. You trust Him. You believe in Him. And there's a product. Something happens from that. By the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, through what's happening in your mind and what's happening in your heart through the trust that you're putting in the Lord, from what you know about God, the Holy Spirit takes those truths and He works in your heart and supernaturally by a work of God, you begin to abound in hope even when things seem hopeless. You're filled with with joy, even when things seem joyless. My friends, God is not commanding you to do something that He won't help you with. He gives you His Holy Spirit so that you can abound in hope by His power. And there's a word here for those of us who are doing just fine. Some of you are believers, and you say, I'm going to be honest, I've had a great year. I'm not saying I don't feel bad about all the things that have happened out there in the world. I'm not not saying that, but I'm just saying my family's done great this year. We've had more time together. My business happens to have done well, or I've had the same income. Good things have happened. We're doing just fine. Or you might say, I've had a tough year, but I am overwhelmed with joy. I'm glad. I'm doing okay. Those of you who are hopeful and encouraged and joyful... Don't think for a moment that that came from your flesh. Don't think for a moment that your joy or hope comes from the stuff you have or from the life you live. If you are a Christian in this room today who feels hopeful and joyful, it is because the Holy Spirit has worked those things out in your heart. I don't want you to miss that. We we then have empathy and patience with those who are struggling. Sometimes I'll talk to believers and they say, I just don't understand what the issue is with this person or that person. It feels like they just can't quite get it together. And so often what they're doing is forgetting the way that God in His grace has put them where they are. It doesn't come naturally to you either. You might think it does, but just for one reason or another, by God's grace and by the power of His Spirit, He's given you joy. He's given you satisfaction. He's made you hopeful, but not everyone has that luxury. Some people still struggle. Be patient with those who are still waiting to be made hopeful by the Lord. You know, this morning, you may be down, though. You may be hopeless. You may be anxious. You may be riddled with worry. And Christmas may feel like a sense of dread for you. You may be joyful. I I know many of us are, but not all of us are. Some of us are struggling. Preacher, you say, I can't do this on my own. I, I just can't do this by myself. You sweet saint. Take heart. Take heart. Look at God. Trust Him. And remember that God has given you His Spirit who is fully capable of breathing hope into even the most troubled heart. Remember what you believe that God sent His very own Son into the world to die a sinner's death on your behalf. His blood was shed for you and God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible promises us that despite our sin, we will not meet the cross of Christ in the way that He met the cross of Christ. We are not destined for wrath, but instead we are welcomed as sons on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the very Son of God you are welcomed into the family of God and the Bible teaches us that no matter how bad things get no matter how south things go even if we lose our very lives our hope is in the God who can take lives up again hope is God centered hope is faith fueled and hope is Spirit-gifted. And the very same Spirit who woke the Lord Jesus from the dead on Easter morning is right there with you at this moment telling you, reminding you, speaking to you, producing in you abounding hope. Abounding hope. I want to offer an opportunity this morning for you to respond to the Lord. Now, our, we're not coming to the altar. Um, we're, we're spending time right where we are with the Lord, but the Lord doesn't have to have an altar to draw you to Himself, to work in your heart. You don't have to be anywhere special to respond to Jesus. God is everywhere, and so you can respond right where you are. And you may be a Christian, and you may say, Pastor, I, I just need um, to grow in hope. You take some time during this, these moments to pray and ask the Lord for that. You may be an unbeliever. You may have never put your trust in Jesus. You may say, I, just, I need someone to talk to about finding this about which you speak. After the service is over today, I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn from your sins and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want you to do business with the Lord right where you are. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather with your people in your name. And Lord, we pray you would work in our hearts during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.